Hi, everyone. You're listening to Recruitment from A to Z, the podcast that covers all things talent acquisition and recruitment advertising. I'm Andrea, and with me is Zach, hence the A to Z. I oversee the client services team nationally, and Zach oversees our marketing and sales efforts. Bayard specializes in recruitment advertising and employer branding, and we're excited to talk to you about lots of fun topics, changes, and more in our industry. Enjoy. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Recruitment from A to Z. Today, we are lucky enough to have Cody Harker joining us. He's our Senior Director of Insights and Strategy and is a boomerang employee at Bayard who went from our app feeder trading desk to the leader of our new Acumen group. Cody, welcome. Howdy. Thanks for joining us today. Of course. Cody, what's your full time at Bayard? Um, A little under five years. That's what I was thinking. It's, it's been a fair bit. Um, so Cody, tell us, you used to work here. Tell us about what you originally did at Bayard and then leaving us and then coming back. Don't, don't skip the very start either, Cody. Zach would know this. I worked in the same office as Zach for uh, three and a half, four years. Um, but I actually started um, as a digital media coordinator on Matt Luba's team, um, entry level, kind of fresh out of college, getting my footing. And, I didn't know that. Uh, it's really focused on this platform called ClickCast that we had just bought as an agency. I mean, to be candid, it was atrocious at that point in time. We could not track apps, clicks, or spend correctly. We had these reconciliation files we were updating. But my colleagues at the time, Kyle Lee and Eric Hallwell, saw a lot of promise and decided to build this new media buying solution. Zach, I think you remember that for a fleeting moment in time, we called it Bayard X. Um, afterwards became App Feeder. And I joined that team about six months in and spent three years um, working on and building the App Feeder team. I focused primarily at the beginning on our publisher network. So I was reaching out to publishers, convincing them to move from duration-based postings to um, pay-per-click or pay-per-applicant media. And then afterwards kind of focused on uh, media buying, trading, and helping support BizDev. Um, after a couple of years at Bayard in 2018, I left to join a startup called Jovio, which was a DSP in the programmatic recruitment space. At Jovio, I did a little bit of everything. It was about a year old. And so I came in to help lead the media buying efforts and delivery more broadly. Also worked in partnerships for a bit. Um, did that for a little less than two years and then helped reboot a transportation recruitment marketing business called All Trucking uh, for a company called Throughline Marketing based out of Kansas City. And then uh, Michael Halperin called me and said, hey, got this new division. Want you to come in and run this thing. You're the perfect guy. Laid a pitch out and it seemed like the perfect time. So here I am, my second tenure at Bayard working on Acumen now. Can you, uh, can you tell us a little bit about Acumen? I know, obviously, data and insights team. And I remember even back when in your first stint at Bayard, I, I think I couldn't have been too long into the, the whole marketing thing. But we had a lot of conversations about how we could leverage data in different marketing materials and marketing content. So it feels like the interest was always there. Can you tell us about Acumen now and kind of what your vision is for it? Absolutely. So I remember one piece in particular that you and I wrote about um, commuting time and looking at basically what a commutable radius would be um, based on how much a job paid. 
and kind of building a lightweight calculator. I don't know that we did a calculator so much as just kind of threw out a hypothetical. Yeah, I think you something. ditched us before we got to the calculator. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I'm a big picture guy, all right? <laughs> that might have been what pushed you out. I don't even know. I can't do it. Um, but yeah, Acumen, um, Acumen is this really interesting sort of freeform thing that we're building right now. Horse focused around data and insights. Really, we see um, we see Acumen as kind of bringing labor market context and broader economic and political um, context to what's going on within the labor market. Uh, the need really came out of you know, of course, these crazy economic conditions that we're seeing right now. We've got a really jolted labor market, um, lots of lots of movement in the job space caused by COVID, but. Even before that, we were seeing this really unique period in American history that we kind of haven't really observed before. Um, after the Great Recession, we had a protracted period of economic growth that lasted for more than a decade. Typically, we see a recession every four to six years. So we were in unique times leading up to COVID, and obviously COVID upended everything. And now as we're recovering, we're not really seeing the same sort of recovery that people were used to in the past. So it's created just crazy conditions that require our clients and require us to be more knowledgeable about what's going on within the industry and how market conditions are impacting, you know, media performance, um, characteristics of job listings, characteristics of work itself, even. From a client's perspective, what has been the most a frequent use case, I guess, from from the client side, because uh, obviously there's a ton of data and there's a ton of different things that you can do with it. Um, what are you most frequently asked for from clients? Gosh, where are all the candidates? <laughs> um, we get a pretty even blend of tactical and strategic questions. I would say that um, more often than not, People want to know what is going on in a specific market for a specific job type. So, um, you know, why can't we find registered nurses in um, Chicago, Illinois? Or why is it really hard to find CNAs in um, Lafayette, Louisiana? Um, so we tend to get a lot of a lot of questions like that. And then we have gotten almost the same amount of questions about how am I competitive or why am I not competitive based on my jobs offering? So kind of two different sort of buckets of looking at the market, what we call, you know, more tactical or micro level, what's going on with this market for this job type. And then broader questions like, what do I need to do to be competitive right now? My question for you is how have you evolved? We make recommendations based on the data. You know, we've always used data in some capacity to inform buying decisions or market strategy. But I agree with you. I think this year threw a tailspin on everything in a good way. And I think clients have had to learn to um, take a higher level view of economic conditions as a whole. And you've had things like migration patterns change and remote workforce emerge. And the way we find talent completely changed this year. So how do you feel like it's changed the way we we think about making a recommendation to a, a client? Gosh, that's a, that's a big question. A good one for sure. And, you know, there are a lot of different things that you touched on there. Um, 10%. So this comes from one article. I hope 
the stat is correct now that I'm quoting it, but 10% of the U.S. population moved during COVID alone. And at least 20% of that was related to COVID, so directly related to COVID. And so we have millions and millions of people moving around as just one facet of this, um, not to mention people that were you know, furloughed, let go, laid off, whatever you want to call it, quit right now. That's the big thing, the great resignation. Um, I think we're using data in a number of different ways. It kind of really depends on the job type and the employer. Um, so employers that are hiring, let's say, white collar folks or in-office talent, um, but can have remote talent, the way that we're using data to inform media strategies and where we place job ads moving forward is really interesting. So um, we have some clients moving to a fully remote workforce or a partially remote workforce, and um, that's enabling them to hire really kind of wherever in the U.S., um, maybe with some exclusions depending on the, um, the business that they're in. But it's allowing us to take a very data-driven approach um, to where we advertise jobs. So um, basically, since we're no longer tethered to certain locations where that corporate HQ is, we can look to access talent across the lower 48, Hawaii and Alaska, maybe even elsewhere, and have a better chance at basically finding candidates. So we're able to use labor market data to understand where candidate pools exist in primary, secondary, and tertiary markets and help our clients access those talent pools by basically visualizing where talent exists and then working with our media teams and implementing strategies around the data that we present. Um, other times it can be a little bit more qualitative than that. So we might be looking at um, job postings in particular in trying to understand what value propositions exist and resonate with job seekers. So kind of doing more of a competitive analysis and then presenting that to account teams, creative teams and the like um, with basically data around here's what's performing well in this market or here's what seems to be performing well. And we make X, Y and Z recommendations to help you become more competitive. So really a lot of different ways that we're using data kind of depends on the job type. Hope that answers your question without being too evasive, though. No, it, it does. I mean, we've all felt the use case for data like never before this year. And I think it's really transformed the way our client services and creative teams are approaching solving problems for our clients. So I think it's a it's a it's an unforeseen, like obviously when you came into this role and we, we stood up this division, we didn't know all of this was going to happen per se in, in the continued way that it has. And so I think there's, there's not a better time than now for where you're thinking about taking data. But I also want to know, you know, from a client standpoint or a recruitment marketer in general, who's trying to solve for a lot of problems within their business, data is dispersed. It's hard to to collate together, you know, you have so many different insights tools, but I feel like a lot of what's out there is one sliver of the whole picture. Um, that's a, yeah, that's a great thing to call out because um, I see that as a core strength of Acumen that we identified really early on that there is dispersed data and data sources are really inundated right now. So when we look at traditional government data sources that have been really good, things coming from the Federal Reserve and in particular the BLS, 
those data sources are more inaccurate than ever just by virtue of the amount of movement that's happened within the labor market. So, you know, the number of job listings, job openings that have occurred, the number of people going from employed to unemployed back to employed, um, these sources that we've normally taken as truth are not fully true in and of themselves right now, um, which has created a need for us to ultimately go out and find better data sources. Um, Acumen looks at data sources from a couple of different lenses and a couple of different levels to ultimately understand the whole picture. So we still use those labor market tools and resources. We you know, lean heavily on BLS data. We work with a couple of different labor market tools that analyze BLS data and do um, internet scraping to pull in job listings to look at online profiles and things like that. Those help us give a macro perspective as to what's going on, um, especially from a labor market point of view. But we also layer in other types of data to help say what that means with respect to recruitment marketing and talent acquisition. So, I mean, if we look at 10.5 job openings existing, that is not a very actionable data point. But when we start looking at how that impacts performance by looking at things like vendor insights and vendor data, it can give us a lot of very telling things. So um, on one side, we might have a vendor like Indeed, Talru, ZipRecruiter, so on and so forth, telling us that the number of applications per job opening has dropped by 15 to 20, maybe up to 15% or 50% over the course of um, COVID. Well, when we layer those data sources together, we get a clear picture of why that's happening. And then third, we layer in on top of vendor insights and labor market data, what's going on with proprietary data that we collect from campaigns. So um, clients that run on app feeder, Google, Facebook, and other, um, other media sources that we run, we capture performance data, anonymize it, and start to pull trends from it. Um, we see these three different buckets that we have available to us and are currently using as the best way to sort of triangulate what's going on, knowing that not one data source or not one bucket of data is going to tell us the whole picture. But if we look at all three of those different buckets in tandem, we can figure out what's going on with the labor market and arrive at the why um, that's happening as well. I think uh, not to jump back too far, but one thing that you pointed out a little bit a little while ago is, you know, I think we've always on some level used data to inform strategy in terms of campaigns, campaign performance. Obviously, we do it at much more depth today than we ever have. But um, I think one thing that there's always been a struggle to draw a line between is the use of data in the way in which you brand and position yourself. What is your thought process on the way in which data can help branding efforts be more be more effective? And in particular, even when you look at things like diversity and inclusion goals, right? Um, how do you see that all playing together? Yeah, so, I mean, there's um, there are a lot of different ways that we can use data to help um, impact creative and brand campaigns and look at ways in which we can be opportunistic on, on those um, on those fronts. So I'm reminded of a couple of different examples on the DE&I front where we've actually used data to help clients be um, clients and uh, prospects be opportunistic with their efforts in the DE&I space. Um, so if you imagine, let's say a 
enterprise level employer um, working in a couple thousand different markets, maybe up to 5,000 different markets if they if they are a very large enterprise employer um, and they're making a push to be really diverse, we can help understand where diverse talent lives. We can look at things like census data to help us understand what diversity looks like compared to the national average. And so if there are initiatives to be more diverse, we can help clients be very um, targeted in their efforts to do that um, with potentially limited resources or limited funds. Um, On the brand perspective, oftentimes we found ourselves over the last six months supporting what creative is doing with respect to brands. So that could mean that we're aggregating things like Glassdoor reviews at scale, could mean that we're looking at um, very targeted job listings, job descriptions to pull out keywords and build word clouds or things like that. But we're ultimately using data typically at scale to help drive meaning from what we see within the marketplace and put hard numbers behind it. So um, things become a little less squishy and a little bit more data-driven. Not that they were squishy beforehand, but um, just to say that they can be maybe a little bit more data-driven. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting because we've always had a reference to data in any, let's say we're presenting to a client, right? But typically, like kind of historically, you'd see we'd go through the different tactics and then data would be the piece that comes in at the end um, and is primarily performance driven. A lot of presentations that either I've given or I've seen our teams give recently, we almost lead with data, right? And it's like the fact that the data informs pretty much everything that we do, whether it is brand, whether it is strategy, whatever part of our business we're actually using to help clients, the data seems to be the thread that ties it all together. So I think it's been interesting to see that evolution in the way in which we even present data holistically amongst all of the different things we do. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's been really exciting for me to um, watch that evolution. So um, really, if we want to look back at the whole history of Acumen, um, back in 2016, I started looking at economic conditions to explain why there were drops in organic traffic. And I remember this one um, annual summit we did for a client of ours, um, I was so excited. I had all of this BLS data and I put together this really interesting labor market context as to why they were seeing a 10% drop in organic traffic. Um, and it flopped, completely flopped. It, it was uh, it was actually pretty funny. I put so much work into it and said, you know, we've, we've seen this drop. Here's what you're seeing on this side. Here's why it's supported from a labor market perspective. Here's what's going on with labor force participation rates and unemployment. And what I noticed at that time was that it was too soon. Um, things were still really favorable from a hiring perspective for uh, people that hired at scale, especially in customer service, call center, retail spaces. You could still access a lot of talent. Things were still cheap enough and Um, organic traffic was still plentiful enough that you did not have to really rely on data. You could kind of just spend money and get applicants. And uh, the same budgets that you used three years ago were still enough to get the job done. And so watching that evolution from 2016 until now, where everything we do is really data-driven and it's become something that clients really need and want, um, super exciting for me.
Cody, where do you see your team going? Like, as you think two years down the road with the increased need for data and a broader context to understand performance across media and creative, what kind of roles and people do you hope to bring on? Um, Good question. So I'm looking at basically splitting my team. I think that we will have a content portion of our team, um, people that look at what's going on within the labor market, people that read the BLS jobs report on a monthly basis and look at um, other types of publications and data that's out there and try and push out what we see from a macro perspective, and then also take a look at proprietary data and the other data sources that we look at, put out content. So I see half a vacuum and kind of resting in, in that content portion to explain and tell the narrative of what's going on to our customers both, you know, broadly and then more, you know, pointedly at a customer basis, what's going on. Um, and then the other half of the hires that I hope to make over the next couple of years would fit more within the um, analyst realm. So we're going to be hiring people that have different strengths in the data area. So people that are really good at um, doing things like understanding data at scale, maybe people with like SQL backgrounds um, and just bringing on folks that have a general understanding of economics and market factors. So um, I think that we're basically looking at two different divisions, content and then analysis of what's going on that work sort of in tandem or together to tell the story of what's going on within the labor market and uh, what's going on specifically from a performance perspective within our book of business. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think um, those roles will help make such a robust offering. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, we've talked about it a lot already, Cody, but as a marketer, you're, the content side of what you're kind of building and putting together is going to be a gold mine from my perspective. So we've obviously talked about a lot of uh, different, very kind of work-related topics. I know Andrea has a very pointed question about your, your choice of drink. Um, Andrea, why don't you go ahead? Oh my God. When I studied abroad in Italy as an idiot, 19 year old, we had this Christmas party one night and I drank a hundred percent more than 10 white Russians and had one of, it's probably the top hangover I've ever had in my entire life. And I remember I had to pick up my friend who flew in from America to see me at the train station the next morning. And I was basically like, crawling to the train station barely alive she when she got off the train i was like laying with my eyes closed on on like a bench waiting for her and i've never had a white russian since like the smell is so horrifying to me i just i i I can't believe that's the drink you picked (laughs) cody um 19 year old andrea is like an additional character on the podcast there are (laughs) It, they tend to always relate back to whoever the um, whoever's joining us in that choice of drink, but um, usually, yes. <laughs> uh, why white Russian? I don't know that I've ever seen you drink a white Russian, so I was. It I doesn't say, feel surprised. like a Cody drink, does it? I felt like he was it's, gonna go with I don't know, like a weird seasonal beer or something. I don't know. Well, that would actually make a lot more sense because I used to brew weird seasonal beers when I lived in New York. So back when Zach and I used to hang out a fair amount, I was brewing Saisons and farmhouse ales and it's like weird Belgian beers that, you know, my roommate and I would come across. And um, so that would make more sense. 
Um, the drink is really an homage to a couple of things, probably 19 year old Cody who used to drink white Russians because <laughs> I was obsessed with the big Lebowski at that point in time. And, um, when the email came through that I was going to have a drink of choice on the podcast, I was sitting with my girlfriend's dog, whose name is dude named after the dude from big Lebowski. And so figured, you know, maybe the stars align for a moment in time and, a white Russian would be a hilarious drink to share with Andrea and Zach on this podcast. Now I do have a funny, funny story about what happened afterwards. Um, so, you know, I say that, you know, white Russian is my drink. And, um, and then shortly thereafter, I'm reminded by my girlfriend that I'm lactose intolerant these days. And I'm like, Oh crap. So, <laughs> On the way to pick up stuff to make a white Russian, I also picked up a pack of lactate and had to take two of those before getting on today's podcast. Like never was there a better aging story than you choosing this white Russian as the drink of choice today. 31 going on 50 right now. Oh my God. Um, Everything changes once you hit 30, man. Oh man. Uh, And not for the better necessarily. Yeah. Well, Cody, anything else you wanted to tell us about? Um, No, I mean, I, I think we're just, we're really excited to see where Acumen goes. Um, You know, it's going to be an interesting 24 to 36 months as we recover from, um, from the labor market conditions that we're seeing right now. And, um, we're just excited to be kind of along for the ride and telling our customers and prospects what's going on as we go down this ride together. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to rehab this conversation two years from now and see kind of what acumen has evolved into. Yeah, I think that'll be really interesting because there's a little bit of we know data is going to continue to evolve and our use of it's going to continue to evolve, but there's, we don't truly know what it's going to evolve into yet. So it'll be interesting to see. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, and next time we discuss it two years from now, uh, we can totally have a different drink. No white Russians. Next time I see you in person, I, that's all I'm going to order you all night. I'll just over, I'll just get the waiter to override whatever you ordered with white <laughs> Russians with no, with no lactate. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, you can Preferably. have it with like we can. You can have it with like oat milk or something instead. Yeah, Ooh, delicious. It's disgusting. How millennial of me! <laughs> I'll have a white Russian with oat milk, please. I bet that happens. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thank you guys. Yeah, thanks, Cody. Bye. Bye. Thank you, everyone, for joining. We hope you enjoyed uh, hearing from Cody and Andrea and myself. Uh, We look forward to talking to you again soon.